I count on one thing. 
The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me. the name above all names you are most worthy in your word it says worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created 
See, church, this is why he is worthy of our praise. It's not just that God is really nice and we appreciate the things he does for us, but he is worthy of our adoration because of who he is. His worthiness cannot be measured. And this is why through a foundation of faith, we offer continuous praise to our God, to our King. And so in this moment, will you offer him your whole heart? Praise him in his majesty, oh God. We devote our lives to you, to you, to your love, to your word, and to your kingdom. We give you this praise in response of who you are. Worthy is the Lord.
our blessed assurance, Lord.
sons and daughters of the living God united as one as his church. We proclaim these words together. United, this is our story. Yes, this is our story. Yes, church. This is our song to praise the Savior. Praising our Savior all the day long. Response to his goodness. This is our story. This is our story. This is our song. Yeah. Praising our Savior. Let's worship the Savior. And all His goodness and grace. Thank you, Jesus. church his story is our story that's the beauty of the church it's a place filled with many stories broken people in a broken world but it's his story of redemption is available to us he says are you in need of a way out of your brokenness of your hurt of your anxiety of your lust of your sin church he made a way and this blessed assurance is in the redeeming blood of Christ Jesus our Lord. And when we admit our faults, and we admit our shortcomings, and when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, this is when our hope is secure. Our future is secure. He made a way, and he's worthy of this praise and more. So Father, thank you for opening your arms to the broken us. Thank you for redeeming us to new life in Jesus' blood. We choose to worship and we choose to pursue your heart more and more every day and to align our hearts with yours. Great are you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. So good to proclaim truth in God's house today. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, he is the way. Let's welcome each other in God's house today. exactly what I need to hear every morning. Uh, good morning, church. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Brent. I am one of the pastors here on staff at MRCC. And uh, how many of you guys enjoyed the nice weather that we had over this weekend and past week? I'm looking forward to more. Um, I took this weekend personally as an opportunity to say, you know what? There'll be more sunshine. The lawn can wait another week, which I probably shouldn't have done 
but I did anyways. Uh, just a few announcements to make us aware of this morning. There will be no band of brothers tomorrow night. Um, we are going to continue next month, but tomorrow night there will be no band of brothers, so make sure to take note of that, as well as no midweek events. So our youth ministry and for kids on Wednesday nights, as well as WordWorks, our Wednesday night Bible study, will not be meeting this week due to Enumclaw spring break. We have a week off, so make sure to keep that in mind as well. Um, but we do have coming up soon, May 7th and 8th, is Elevate, our spring kids conference, and that's going to be here on campus. We are so excited for that. A bunch of us are, are planning and prepping that. It's going to be super cool. All the info and details can be found online. Uh, Pastor Allison also would love to, to talk to you about it and tell you about all the awesome stuff that we're going to be planning. So make sure you sign up uh, for that online for your kiddos. It's going to be a blast. As well as uh, online, there's some info as well as uh, Pastor Darius and I. Uh, if you'd be interested in hosting or leading one of our summer young adults and young marrieds groups that we're going to be launching this summer. Uh, it's going to be launching in June, and we'll have more info on that soon. We'd love to partner uh, with anybody who would be interested in hosting or leading one of those groups. Without further ado, Pastor Darius, come on up. He's going to share the word with us. Let's prepare our hearts this morning. request for how Brent would introduce me. <laughs> but you missed the smoke machines. Okay, that was not serious. That was supposed to be a joke. So those of you who thought that I had planned smoke machines, shame on you. Okay, I can't do the pulpit in front of me. Uh, my name is Darius. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Rainier Christian Center, and I am super happy to be here. Uh, we have a real adult pastor. His name is Greg. Uh, he is a full-fledged adult. And... Uh, <laughs> No, he's, he's our lead pastor, Greg, and uh, he, he uh, was, had the vaccine this weekend and all kinds of stuff, and uh, so he's, he's out today just to be safe, and uh, we're going to have a good morning. We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, so if you want, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and go to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 3 together. If you don't have a Bible, get out. That's a joke, too. I don't know why would I make you leave if you don't have a Bible. That's crazy. Um, if I had the power to, though, I still wouldn't. Um, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 together. We're going to look at verses 6 through 13. The series that we're talking about is called Hope at Hard Times. Uh, and it's really cool because the book of 1 Thessalonians was written to um, the church in this place called Thessalonica. And it was written by a guy named Paul. Paul planted a church in Thessalonica. And Paul was a traveling church planner. He got saved. He had a radical encounter with Jesus, got saved, and went on to continue planting more churches. And uh, Paul is very passionate as he writes most of his letters. It's, it's the biggest chunk of your New Testament is stuff that God wrote through Paul. And um, as, as Paul writes to these churches, he's saying like, hey, I want to come visit you. I want to see you again. And we're going to look at a chunk there in Thessalonians. Uh, really, really quick though, uh, just want to let you know a little bit about me because I know that a lot of, I haven't got to know a lot of you. And I've been here for about eight months. Eight months, it's been seven and a half months that I've been on staff here. I love it here. I love being a part of your church, so thank you for, join, uh, for, for letting me join you. Uh, my wife, Brittany, and I have been married for 10 years, and we have, thanks, dude, and we have zero children, and uh, that is our life right now. We also, um, considering the fact that we have zero children, you know, the weather was, like, beautiful and amazing this weekend, and we thought, hey, why not spend it in a car? So we drove three hours to Wenatchee, and we adopted a dog yesterday. <laughs> we drove three hours back. 
she's the tiniest dog of all time. She will probably top out at like 10 pounds. So there's like this picture of me like full flexing as hard as I can holding the dog. And it's a very, she like, you can barely see her like nose coming out of my hand. So anyway, that's my life right now. And, and I love being here at MRCC. Um, I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, the idea of today's message is that Jesus is the God of the other side. Uh, Jesus is the God of the other side. He's the God on the other side of every prayer and the other side of every need and the other side of every struggle. So as we think about that, I want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 through 13. Oh, I'm going to set a timer on my watch so you guys aren't here until kingdom come. You guys good with that? Okay, all right. You're not good with that? Perfect. No one said amen. I'm going to preach a long time. Um, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Timothy is like Paul's sidekick. He's like his, his protege. And Paul was not able to visit the Thessalonians, so Timothy went to visit the Thessalonians. Complicated. Obviously, 2,000 years ago, travel was more difficult. They hadn't quite mastered flight yet. And also, also uh, there, were, there were restrictions on traveling, especially for Paul. It was hard because uh, he's being persecuted, and um, the church is being persecuted, and a lot of people didn't like what he was doing. So traveling for him was dicey. But Timothy was kind of like secret agent mode, went to Thess Thessalonica and visited Thessalonians, and he brings back this report to Paul. Paul says, Timothy, just now come to us from you. He's brought good news about your faith and love. Amen. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. You see Paul is writing here. What he wants deeply and heavily, powerfully, is to go and visit the Thessalonians. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Paul is just like pouring out praise on God, right? Paul is, here as he's writing, he is just saying, God's so good. He's good because you love him. He's good because he loves you. He's good because you talk to, like we're hearing reports about you and him. He's good because you're still saved. Paul's just like pumped. It says, for now we really live, right? Again, in, in verse eight. In verse 10, he goes on, he says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Have you ever prayed night and day for something? Like every day? I don't think Paul's exaggerating here. I think Paul is like making a literal statement here. Scripture is recording Paul saying like, look guys, if there's one thing I could have, it would be to come and see you again. It's his heart's desire. It's what he wants more than anything. Night and day, I pray that we could come and see you again. That Jesus would clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You know how many times Paul got to go visit the Thessalonians after this? Goose egg, zero. Paul's 
deepest desire, his strongest desire is to go back and visit these people. And he never once, God never, never said yes to Paul. Paul is a close with Jesus. He's tight with God. He writes some of the Bible. He's got one thing that he wants. God, let me go visit the Thessalonians. And God says, how about now? And that's where Paul leaves us saying, now we are alive because of your faith. Not because God answered my prayer to come see you, but because I know that now, even though my prayer is unanswered, I have a first fruit, which is that I've heard from Timothy that you are so strong in your love for God. Has anyone missed going out to eat over the last 12 months? Anybody? Okay, you're back. I, get, I lost you in all the scripture. Now we're talking about Olive Garden. You're like, what? <laughs> me too, believe me. I, like, I haven't gone out, sat in an Olive Garden for like 12 months. And if you know me, that's like a big deal. That's like, essentially, I've been doing, what do they call it in Catholicism, Mardi Gras? I've been doing, I've been doing like, it's been like Ash Wednesday every, every week for a year. No Olive Garden. That's what I would fast if I was Catholic. I'd fast breadsticks from Olive Garden. Because that's how serious it is to me. There's something special that goes, like when you go out to eat, there's something special that happens because you go out to eat. My wife and I are very frugal. When we got married, we had zero dollars except for scholarship money that my wife got. That's all we had. We had nothing. As a matter of fact, I went to college. We were married while we were in college. And I carried a balance every semester and snuck through school, carrying a balance at the end of the year, not having paid for the previous semester of school. I'm a ninja like that. So we had nothing, and we would go out to eat, and here's the most amazing thing. You're frugal, you go out to eat, you sit down, and you know how your experience will be based on the first couple minutes of the meal, because the server comes out, and if they come out and they offer the free bread to you, you say, praise God, my faith, now I am alive in my faith. Like, there's a list, right? Like, like, just the free bread you get at the beginning of a meal is one of the best things about America. <laughs> Praise God. One of our best contributions to the world is the free. At, at Outback Steakhouse, I used to work there. It's that, like, honey, oat, pumpernickel bread. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it comes out on the cutting board, and you feel special that you get to cut your own bread. Someone should be doing this for you, but they're not. You still feel good about it anyway. When I worked at Outback Steakhouse, I would eat, like, five of those a night. If the table was ever wondering, like, where's our server? I'm just in the back, like, just halfway through a loaf of bread. If you've ever, have you ever been to Texas Roadhouse? Uh, oh, yeah. Somebody, if you can't hear us on the internet, we're all very excited about this. At Texas Roadhouse, they have, like, these honey-glazed rolls that are so soft you could barely touch them. <laughs> yeah, come on, sister. Yes. And... And, there's, and they serve it with this honey whipped butter. Whipped. The honey is whipped together with the butter. It's, it's, someone call Harry Potter because it's magical. At, don't call Harry Potter, we're in church. Okay. Sorry, sorry I said the H word. And so, this is so like amazing. And then the piece de resistance is, I'm from Pasco, so I love Latin Americans, and I am so thankful for all of the amazing things the Latino community has contributed to America. Up there on my list, very high, is chips and salsa. 
Like when I, that is, that's like when I go out to eat, when someone says, do you want to go to get, like, you want to go to Azteca, you want to go to wherever, you want to go to Mazatlan, do you want to go get Mexican food? All I hear is, do you want chips and salsa? So I don't think about the meal. I'm like, yes, I want chips and salsa. What kind of crazy, I'm an American. If you don't like chips and salsa, you're a communist. Okay. No, I mean, I made a baby cry. Um, what I'm saying is this. I know this is really silly. I know it's really silly. But what I'm saying is this. I'm saying that that is like a first fruit. I know it's funny. But like when your server brings you a full basket of breadsticks, not like the three stale breadsticks, but like the full fresh basket of breadsticks at Olive Garden, it sets the tone, right? You're like, if this is how we start, the pasta is going to be freaking amazing, Right? Like, it sets the tone. It's the first fruit. It's a little thing. It's not the whole course. It's not the whole meal. It's not even close. But it's the first thing that they bring you, and it's like a promise. When the server sets down the free bread of the chips and salsa, they're saying, I promise you, you're going to have a good day. <laughs> like, in Numbers chapter 13, here's what happens. In Numbers chapter 13, God is taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, all right? So he's taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they've been led out of slavery. And they've, been, they've crossed the Red Sea miraculously. They've, pillars of fire have come down from heaven and led them into safety away from the, the Pharaoh's armies. Uh, there's been eight different miraculous signs and wonders poured out uh, as prophecies and against the kingdom of Egypt to set Israel free so that God would speak freedom to the people of Israel. And they had all these amazing things happen. And then they come to the Jordan River and they're about to cross over into the promised land. Very short journey from Egypt to Canaan where they're going to go. And so they spent they sent some spies in the land because they're just kind of like a newly formed, like a, a, a newly liberated uh, nation state, right? Like they've just kind of got their feet on the ground as a country. And so they're like, okay, we don't have a big army. We're not like a big, we don't have a lot of structure yet. We don't have special forces yet. We need to send some spies in to kind of scout out. And so they send spies in. And what the spies come back with is this. They come back with a couple of things. One is a bunch of things that, that the Bible calls first fruits. A bunch of things that are the first things they find, grab, and harvest from the land, the promised land that God's promised to them. They've got a bundle of grapes that's so big that two dudes are carrying it. I don't know if you've ever seen a bundle of grapes, but like when I see a bundle of grapes like that, I'm like, ooh, these steroids and these groceries are getting kind of out of control. <laughs> They've got a bundle of grapes. It's like that's so big, two men are carrying it together. And this is just what they find laying around. They don't have to kill anybody for this. They don't have to fight for this. They're like, guys, it's just like littered with stuff. The whole land is overflowing with milk and honey. And that's the first thing they bring. And the second thing they bring is a report. And so everyone's like munching on these grapes and they're enjoying the thing. They're enjoying the first fruits. And they're saying, gosh, this is going to be so good. If this is what the breadsticks are like, the meal's going to be awesome. And the spies are like, yeah, but like enjoy the grapes because we're not going in there. <laughs> There's like giants over there and the giants could like kill us and then pff, no more grapes. And so what happens is the Israelites, instead of trusting that God is going to give them the land, they take the first fruit, which is supposed to be a down payment of promise. The idea of a first fruit here, especially in agrarian culture, is like the first moment of harvest. I have some friends in Pasco, the, the Middletons, and they harvest asparagus. And when you harvest asparagus, it grows like a foot a day. So you, it's so weird when you live in the Tri-Cities in Washington because like in March, they're like, it's asparagus season. 
And then they've, they've harvested. And then October, they're like, we're, we're wrapping up asparagus season. I'm like, is it like, does asparagus go all year? Because it grows so fast, they'll do multiple cuts. So the first harvest of the asparagus is like the first fruits. It's how good is the crop going to be this year? And that was God's promise to the Israelites. He said, look, take the first fruits and you'll know that I'm going to fulfill every promise that I made to you. The first fruits are meant to be a promise of God's faithfulness to us, proof that God loves us. And there are first fruits on the other side. But what we do oftentimes, what I do, is I get it twisted because instead of looking at the first fruits as a down payment on the mortgage of what God is going to give me for nothing, he's just gonna give me something for nothing. And instead of receiving that down payment and saying, okay, if God did this, I know that God is faithful. What I look is I say, okay, yeah, sure, God did this. That's in the past. There's no way I can continue forward because there's giants over there in the land. And what happens is we will get discouraged more about what is in front of us instead of praising what God has done behind us. And that's the danger of what happens with the Israelites in Numbers. And the truth is that the enemy of our soul wants us to believe that there's no way that God can fulfill the promises that are ahead of us. Yeah, sure, you had a day free of addiction, but look, there's a whole lifetime of addiction ahead of you. You can't get out. Yeah, you have one good day in your marriage, but your marriage is, there's still no hope for your marriage. There's a giant that you cannot beat. Yeah, you just had a good day with your kid, but they're sick, and look, this sickness is gonna be the end of your life. Yes, you've just had a good day of worship, but don't you realize that you're gonna go home after church and it's gonna be back to the same stuff? You're gonna fight with your spouse in the car. Your kids are gonna be streaming. You're gonna get home and you're gonna no longer be a Christian. You had a good service, but there's too many giants when you leave. And what we will do is we'll twist it and focus more on what's ahead of us than what God's done. And what God is saying is this, is he's saying, don't look at the first fruits as something in the past. Look at the first fruits as a down payment and a promise that I am not done with you. I'm not done with you if you're battling addiction. I'm not done with you if you're battling in your marriage. I'm not done with you if you're battling depression. I'm not done with you if you can't see what's in the future. Because if you look at the first fruits as proof, I promise you that I love you so much, I will not give up on you. And that's what first fruits are meant to be. Paul sees this in Timothy, right? And he says, I know, I know that God is good because God has not answered my prayer. Can I just tell you something? It's hard to have unanswered prayers. It's hard to say, God, why did you not save my child? It's hard to say, God, why did you not save my marriage? To say, God, why did you not heal me or the person I love? It is. There's no getting around that. It's hard. What Paul does is he takes hold of hope at hard times. Because in hard times, the first fruit of God is a blessed assurance that there is a greater hope ahead. That even in the midst of the worst unanswered prayer, God is still working ahead. Romans chapter eight, it says this. It says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, 
of the Holy Spirit grown inwardly, meaning in our hearts we toil, right? In our hearts we're torn as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, right? That ultimately we know that we in heaven will perfectly see that we are perfectly God's children. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. This is something that was not possible without Christ. The reason that the Israelites couldn't see this is not because they're dumb and we're smart. It's because we have Jesus and they didn't yet. And they could not see with the eyes of the Holy Spirit that if you hope in what is seen, that's not hope. Hope is what is unseen for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with long-suffering, forbearance, with patience, with grit, with the ability to push through because we know that this is a first fruit, but it's not the only fruit. The cool thing about this is, is the way that Paul praises God in the midst of it because our praise is power to persevere. And we stand on fulfilled promises. Again, we, I just, we cannot forget, you and I are here today because God fulfilled a promise. Can I tell you that when I was a baby and I was born, my palate was so narrow. My face, and my face isn't much better now, but my palate was so narrow that the doctor said to my mom and dad, he said, your son will never speak correctly. <clears throat> he was right. He just didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> What he meant to say was, your son will speak too much. Amen. <laughs> that? Security. <laughs> you and I stand here on fulfilled promises. I stand here because I used to be suicidal, but today I know that my hope for life is in Jesus. I stand here because at one point in time, no one thought I was worth anything, but God said, you're worth everything. I stand here because at one point in time, I said, I'm done with my marriage, and God said, I'm not done with your marriage. You are here today because at some point in time, it looked like there were no promises, but God fulfilled a promise. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here this morning. We stand today. We are alive today. We have hope today because God has already fulfilled promises. So in the face of unfulfilled promises, it's okay to be disheartened, but it's also okay to look back at the first fruit and say, if God has done it before, God will do something again. If the breadsticks are good, God has something better prepared for what's coming next. And that's not easy. It's not easy, but it is good. My, I, I take, I take um, a little bit of instruction here from a good mentor from classic cinema. Um, his name, one of the greatest heroes from a movie, his name is Lloyd Christmas. If you don't know who Lloyd Christmas is, let me tell you. Lloyd Christmas is, is, uh, Christmas is, is, Lloyd Christmas is from probably the dumbest movie ever made aptly titled Dumb and Dumber. Lloyd Christmas has a moment in the film where he's actually in the van with a hitman, but Lloyd is the man who knew too little about too little. And he has no idea that he's having a conflict with like a contract killer. He has no idea who this guy is. He doesn't realize that they're at conflict and this guy wants to kill him. And 
he wins the battle by just essentially being dumb and annoying. And so to that, I say, I resemble that. <laughs> there's a moment they're in the car, right? And here's what happens. Is, uh, there's a hitman, and he's trying to keep his cool, and he's trying, he's trying to, like, focus on his mission, and, not, and Lloyd just turns him and goes, you want to hear the most annoying sound of the world? And then he goes, <laughs> he just does it for a long time. I'm so sorry if I just hurt your ears. I try to get off the microphone. He wins the fight through the most annoying sound of the world. And what you and I sometimes have to be reminded is that our praise, when we build our praise on the fulfilled promises of God, it is the most unbearable sound in the world to the enemy of our soul. The devil cannot stand. And look, there is my brokenness. There's things that happen to me and things that I've done. And ultimately, I'm responsible for both of those because I'm responsible for the way I respond Right? I'm responsible for the way I respond to things that have happened to me and things that I've done. Ultimately, my brokenness is my brokenness. But there is an enema of my soul as well. And where there is a broken fissure, he seeks to get in there and pull that open as far as possible to create a chasm that's too wide to repair. And that's what the enemy of my soul wants to do. So it's both and. It's my mistakes and it's the enemy of my soul working against me and you, right? And the enemy of your soul cannot stand it when you look at the fulfilled promises of God and you say, I don't care what unanswered prayer is standing in front of me. What I know, is, devil, is that God has healed me. What I know, devil, is that I'm standing today. What I know, devil, is that God is for me because he's proven himself again and again. And I might not know why he says no to this prayer, but I know why he said yes before and my God loves me no matter what. So you cannot touch me. And the devil cannot stand the sound of that. The Bible tells us that he used to be a worship leader. This is one of the, this is one of the things we pull from scripture. Is that there is, there is evidence that the devil was involved. when He was an angel before he fell out of his inability to see the beauty of God for what it was. Unnecessary of needing him to add to it. That he was involved in heavenly worship. And there's nothing that frustrates him more and distances him more than when we stand in the praise of God's fulfilled promises. It's the most annoying sound in the world. When you praise God, walls come down. And this is just practical. I'm not trying to like promise any kind of health or wealth because health and wealth is all summed up in one word and his name is Jesus. So you can have nothing and you can have wealth in Jesus and you can be sick and you can have ultimate wholeness and health because his name is Jesus and he is wholeness. So I'm not trying to promise anything. I'm not trying to promise anything better than your financial situation now or your health situation now or your relational situation now. But what I do believe is this, is that the biggest barrier is not what is exterior, but what is interior. And the biggest thing that holds, that holds freedom back from me is not the circumstances, but it's what's going on in my heart. At least that's what Jesus would say. And when we begin to praise, walls begin to come down. When the, when the Israelites finally did go, and they finally did, after 40 years, go back to the land of Canaan because God had promised. And you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says, you can go into the land of Canaan because I go before you and I'll be with you. What the Israelites didn't understand in that moment was that God was already there on the other side. Not only had he given them first fruits, but he was already fulfilling his promise. But they would not be, they couldn't believe that. 
So they didn't go. So 40 years later, when they finally go in, here's what happens. 40 years later, they finally go into the promised land. And they go to this city called Jericho. And what happens is this, is God begins to tell them, you know what? Walk around this city that's impenetrable, and I want you to begin to praise me. And don't praise me for what's going to happen. Praise me for what did happen. Praise me because I took you out of Egypt. Praise me because I've placed you here. Praise me because I split the Red Sea. Praise me because today you're alive. Praise me because you crossed the Jordan River. Praise me because I'm the God that loves you. I'm your father, and I've never given up on you. Praise me for that. And so they begin walking around Jericho, and as they pray, the walls fall down. Because the enemy cannot stand. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but in spirits and principalities and powers of darkness. We tear down every stronghold. We destroy lofty arguments from our accuser, Satan, the devil. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ through our praise. And when we begin to praise, it isn't our praise. See, I'm not trying to get it, like, twisted up. It isn't my praise that stops Satan. But when I praise, and I praise God for fulfilled promises, here's what happens. I'm praising the God that can change things. Your praise doesn't do squat. My praise doesn't do squat. You know who does squat? Jesus. He never skips leg day. (laughs) That was an accident, but we're going to take it in Jesus' name. Because my praise might not tear down walls. You know, um, so last year in, no, I'm sorry, there's a whole year that got deleted from my life. It was called 2020. In 2019, in about September, I started dealing with a bout of depression. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I have deficiencies in certain brain chemicals, and someone after service, last service, they said, hey, God's going to heal you. And I was like, I receive it in Jesus' name. But until he does, I have deficiencies in certain brain chemicals, and sometimes it causes me to go through bouts of depression. And oftentimes, those bouts of depression are exacerbated by me being a stupid human. That's just life. So September of 2019, and I remember, I know what it feels like by this point in my life to enter a bout of depression. And I just say, okay, well, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus because he's going to fulfill his promise and it's going to be a season. He's going to lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. And a couple weeks later, waking up every day and feeling like just so much emotional weight. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just so much that I just after a couple weeks I thought okay God, I still believe this is going to be a season. I got a couple weeks until October and I said okay God this is still a season. It's going to be over soon. And I got to the end of October and I was like God, please can we be done with this now? And I got into November and I said God, I'm really ready to be done with this. And I got midway through November and what what I thought was going to be a couple days or a couple weeks all of a sudden was a couple months. And I got to the end of November and I had to preach because when you're a youth pastor, like I was, Josh is our youth pastor here, but I was a youth pastor at our last church and when I got to November I got to preach because the youth pastor always preaches the Sunday after Christmas, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, Memorial Day, Labor Day, And if it's really sunny outside. (laughs) I got up to preach and I was just so depressed. I just felt like I had nothing to give. And I got up there and I preached what God told me to preach. I tried to do to be faithful, which I'm not always the best at. But I got to the end and I just said to the congregation as I was ending, I said, guys, look, I'm depressed now. And I do not know how it will end, 
but I know that God is the one who will end it. Whether it's tomorrow or it's at the other side of eternity. In my house, mental health is just part of our life. There's ADHD, PTSD from old, old stuff between me and my wife. There's, I mean, not PTSD from stuff that we did to each other. real. I, I don't mean a joke. That's real for some people, but um, that's just part of our life. It's like dealing with mental health, anxiety, depression, etc. And for me, here's what happens. I remember telling my counselor, I would kill for just two good days in a row. And for me, every good day is a first fruit, a down payment that God is on the other side. Paul says, he says, look, I want to come see you. Thessalonians, my heart is for you. All I want, God, please just send me there. I'm anxious. I'm scared. I'm afraid that they're going to lose their faith. Send me there. And he doesn't know what to do. But God says, Paul, how about this? How about I'll be on the other side of that prayer. You stay put, and I won't answer your prayer, but I'll be on the other side of it for you. And when I'm, when I'm going through depression and dealing with mental health, or I'm struggling, you know what? I say, you know what, God? I don't know how I can make it through today, but God is on the other side of it. When the Israelites left Egypt, they left Egypt, but God was ahead of them in the wilderness. They went into the Red Sea, but Jesus was on the other side of the Red Sea parting it. When Daniel went into a den, God was already there before he got there taming lions. When three kids went into a furnace because they were worshiping God, Jesus was there before they got there cooling down flames. When you go into a battle, Jesus has arrived before you to win victory. Then when you step on the battlefield, it's finished and it's done. Jesus said to Adam, and Eve the first fruit that you took was wrong and you got kicked away from the tree of life but when you got kicked out of the tree of life I was already at the cross welcoming you to the true tree of life Jesus is on the other side already waiting for you to get there so we take this the Holy Spirit as our blessed assurance I want to ask you invite you to do this with me this morning if you have a prayer that is unanswered will you stand with me and sing if you have a first fruit in your life that God has provided, would you stand with me and sing? If you've got a mountain that's in front of you, would you stand with me and sing? If you've got a reason to praise God today and make the devil so annoyed that he can't stay anymore, would you stand and sing with me? And we'll sing about our blessed assurance. Jesus, down payment for my freedom, down payment for my victory. Jesus, blessed assurance.
God. Yes, Jesus. Oh, our story is written by you, Jesus. Our song is written by you, Savior. Oh, God. Day by day, every day, all day, your King, your Savior, God. Oh, Jesus. This is our song. dismiss in just a moment, but I just, uh, we're going to dismiss in just a moment. I just feel like God was saying this as we were worshiping, and I'm just trying to be humbly obedient to whatever God is saying, but I feel like God was trying to talk to someone specifically this morning, and he's telling you, you, you squandered your first fruits, you threw away your first fruits, you used up your first fruits, whatever, like Adam and Eve. But God is a God that loves his kids. And just because you as his son or his daughter made a mess of the first thing he brought you doesn't mean he's not delighted to bring you something else. Come on. I just feel like God's speaking to someone in this place. And today you're saying, okay, well, God's giving me things and I made a mess of it, so now I'm gonna have to fix it. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not the God on the other side who's saying, come on, you can do it. No. Scripture tells us God is before, He's behind, He's beside, He's within, He's below, He's above. God is everywhere. He's not on the other side saying, okay, you can do it. He's within you, carrying you. God is not the God that waits for you to come to him. God is the father that runs to a child that says, I'm broken and I have nothing. And he picks you up and holds you and carries you and says, all I want is to be with you. So for anyone in this place this morning who says, I've squandered the first fruits. Can I tell you something? It's not about that. It's not about the first fruits. It's not about the breadsticks. It's not even about the meal. It's about the God who's with you at the table. Maybe Olive Garden's not your thing. He'll take you to a different restaurant order whatever you like. You would be the most expensive date you need to be. Jesus just wants to be with you. Just wants to sit at the table with you. <laughs> Not a God that's waiting for you to prove your worth to him. A God that wants to pour out his worth on you. Jesus, we accept that today. In your name, we thank you, God, that you are faithful. And what you've done before is a down payment for what you're going to do. So for every answer prayer where you say no, we know that you love us, God, and we want to put our faith in that. We praise you for what you have done, knowing that you'll tear down walls in our future. In Jesus' name, and if everybody could just say amen, that'd be great. I have not memorized Greg's benediction, so go with God. See you guys next week.